Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, global health systems have been challenged like never before. As time and resources were directed towards responding to the virus, it was the dedication of healthcare workers that kept services running. Amongst the uncertainty, our hardworking Queensland clinicians have continued their pursuit of excellence, innovating and adapting the way they work to ensure consumers always receive the best care possible. To them, the pandemic was an opportunity to learn and grow and to ensure healthcare delivery continues to evolve to the ever-changing landscape. Because if we've learned anything from the last two years, it is that things will always change and our clinicians will always rise to the occasion. To truly close the gap and improve outcomes for Queensland's First Nations people requires more than commitments and policy. Services need to be co-designed with local communities, integrating their beliefs and practices to ensure they not only meet their needs, but align to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander definitions of health. The projects featured in this session are exemplars of these principles, revolutionising care and drastically improving how their communities interact with health services. My name is Will Pitt. I'm a senior social worker with the Sit, Talk and Yarn program. I've been in Cherbourg for the last five years and I've recently transferred across from Youth Justice to be the clinical lead in this project. My name's Clary Cannell. I'm a fifth generation Ugaramlead. My father is from the Torres Strait, from Stephen Island in the eastern Torres Strait. I've worked in Cherbourg for, oh crikey, since I had black hair. So <laughs> that's quite a while, but um, yeah, I hope you enjoy our presentation. Before presenting today, it's with deep gratitude and humility that we acknowledge the Turrbal, Yugarabal and Yagara people as the traditional custodians of these lands. It's with humility and honour that we acknowledge the elders, past, present and emergent of these nations. To discuss the Sit, Talk and Yarn project, Stay With Me project, it's important to understand the narrative at the beginning. 2020 in Australia, as in the whole world, experienced rapid change, social change, economic, health, all because of... COVID. Cherbourg was in the mix of it. This meant a strict lockdown with a checkpoint, which I and other people, Defence Force, police, health workers, worked there for five months. The residents, again, were locked back into permits to leave the community, and some of the old people, the elders, brought memories back of all that trauma of living on a mission back then. This was extended to the young people, and they began to be traumatised. At the end of the lockdown, there were some 200 people plus identified on Cherbourg that were at risk of suicide. In April 2020 and May 2020, there were three deaths of suicide and one attempted death of people aged between 10 and 24, which is approximately 1% of the cohort. In the wake of this, community members and staff members identified that there was a cohesive early intervention program that needed to be done to address risk of suicide. It was this community project that led to the development of the Stay With Me program. After almost 12 months of practice, project stakeholders have tested and reviewed several approaches to feel confident their realistic and sustainable model 
was at hand for care. Throughout the co-design process, the state project established three core objectives to initially achieve. Objective one was a shared intervention framework which all services agreed to use and had three components, which was assess, intervene and monitor. The AIM model utilises evidence-based assessment tools and clinical advice to inform monitoring and auditing schedules. By standardising the method of suicide intervention within the service ecosystem, state team members may focus on supporting and growing capacity within the community. Objective 2 identified key services in Sherberg to participate in monthly leadership level meetings. The purpose of these is multidimensional as it brings together a diverse group of representatives from community members to service managers. This enables the cross-pollination of ideas and experiences to inform service delivery, enables the identification of interagency value-adding opportunities as well as mitigating service duplication. Objective 3 relied on support from the Queensland Injury Surveillance Unit to develop a meaningful analysis of data pertaining to presentations at the Sherberg Emergency Department. This data is being used to upskill hospital clinicians in recognising and responding to suicidality, and it has assisted the state team to develop referral pathways and criteria to ensure a safety net for people that aren't meeting the criteria for acute services. With this data, stakeholders would be able to understand and develop early intervention strategies for times where community risk may be heightened and serves as an example of innovative design that strikes at the core of health inequity through targeted system analysis, which is built around the needs of Sherberg. In concert, we believe these three objectives form the foundational approach for future suicide prevention practices to be developed, while fertilising the ground for specific place-based practices to emerge. Suicide prevention services typically operate under the auspice of mental health models of care, legislation and policy. This means that often clinical involvement occurs to the extent of brief intervention in the high moderate to acute stages, with referral onward to non-government organisations for community-based care. However, we found that this approach doesn't work particularly well for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander services users in Sherberg. Based on feedback and reporting, the typical experience of clients seeking help for suicide risk is that they're quickly pathologised under biomedical models, but biomedical perspectives, sorry, which problematise lifestyle and cultural factors rather than assessments formed in a true or contextual frame, like accounting for culture and kin, a lived experience of trauma, strengths-based approaches and resilience. Furthermore, in Sherberg, mental health and AOD services have traditionally operated under a siloed framework that separates presenting issues or complicates treatment through confusion about causal factors. The result in these cases is the service user having to tell their story to several clinicians, which risks the occurrence of over or under-servicing and negatively impacts empowerment and self-determination through insufficient assessment and relationship. Furthermore, as a matter of health equity for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, this puts the burden of service access upon the client and is a key factor in poor early intervention practices. Given our removal from the typical mental health and AODS referral criteria, clients can become involved in the Stay With Me program through a number of flexible pathways. Broadly speaking, when they're stepped down from acute, when they're stepped up from formal support services like JPs, justice, uh, youth justice corrections services, child safety, or stepped up from informal networks like self-referral, community-based referrals. In addition to these pathways, the Stay With Me team has access to daily presentation lists from the hospital, which we are able to monitor presentations for related suicide, 
identification, suicide risk factors like anxiety, depression, intoxication. Given the broad evidence of these states, the suicide of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people often occurs impulsively, and our own data shows that it doesn't disqualify factors of people being at high risk. Our perceived model is all about care and wellbeing, and it is an inherent human nature right that we provide this work for our clients. Interestingly, as it's September this year, 37% of all referrals have come from at-risk people or concerned family members directly. This is in contrast to our next highest referral source, which is mental health, and that constitutes 12% of the clients accessing our service. Anecdotally, we interpret this as a growing trust in our model of care and a good indicator that our health promotion and training activities are working to destigmatise mental health and suicide and improve community capacity to identify and respond to increased suicide risk. When initially engaged by our service, the client is assessed by either the clinician or the health project officer, depending on the referral pathway, and they become involved with our service in one of two capacities, as either an active or a monitoring case. Active cases are typically handled by the clinician and involve more detailed assessment and formulation with support from formal and informal stakeholders. Rather than emphasising acute triggers to suicidality like substance misuse or underlying mental health and wellbeing concerns, case plans are directed by the client to work on goals they believe will offer a viable pathway into the future. It goes without saying that a risk lens is maintained to mitigate potential suicidality, but we aim to contextualise these factors within a broader narrative around wellness. The cases that are typically triaged into an active status are those people with very few existing supports, someone who has recently attempted suicide or presents with complex and interwoven contributing factors. In these complex cases, it's our experience there would typically be an existing support infrastructure around that person and family. So instead of potentially over-servicing the client, we focus on how to best build the capacity of that service network to manage increased suicide risk. Monitoring cases are those who have, at some point, intersected with our service and are at a stage where they no longer experience pervasive suicidal thoughts or unmanageable thoughts of suicide. They're still wanting, however, some degree of continued check-in. This process was developed through the Health Project Officer's consultation with the community and reflects a three-stage, six-month monitoring schedule. In stage one, the client's visited once a week for four weeks, stage two is once a fortnight for two months, and stage three is once a month for three months. Participation is always voluntary and the person's status can be moved up or down based on the prevailing assessments. One point of difference from other clinical services is that the focus of our intervention extends past the vulnerable person. For example, when we're working with at-risk youth, we do so with the understanding that this experience is also exceptionally hard on siblings, parents and other responsible caregivers. Because of this, we incorporate the needs and expectations of any affected stakeholder within our caregiving process. That could look like referrals to family support services, organising respite schedules, sponsoring family members to attend training programs or other system navigation. When we talk about suicide prevention as a community approach, healthcare and social service providers wouldn't typically imagine a hospital and health service as the lead agency in this work. While we can only speak of our experience in Sherberg, it's with confidence that we state the success of our program has occurred through creativity and a focus on relationships. In support of this ideal, we have produced four tools that are being operationalised within the Sherberg Service Network to aid in risk assessment, safety planning and a step-by-step -step checklist to ensure practice standards are maintained. 
In addition, the STAY program has been responsible for coordinating the delivery of iAssist, Safe Talks and Mental Health First Aid training to 131 community members and service providers. We're also dedicated to growing the capacity of grassroots initiatives through applying our own professional skills and knowledge to community-led ideas. We understand that we can't realistically stop all future suicides. However, we have an innovative and exciting postvention process that we believe that is like nothing else in the system or being done at a hospital or a health service anywhere else. To begin with, the Stay With Me program has co-authored a response protocol with other community agencies to direct and inform how we respond to future suicide events. The key benefit of this process is that services don't feel the need to be reactive in the face of a crisis. We can assure respectful and considered service delivery is occurred. The protocol has been developed with specific and specialist grief and loss practitioners and timeframes. And the approaches of models and has modelled of seven stages of grief. These seven stages were also identified when traditionally and culturally there is a death and a burial process that needs to go through and we followed that and we tied that in with this process. We then commenced the post-vention web process, which is a systematic practice of mapping outward from the deceased to the injured person. We aim to identify who may be at risk due to this event, along with support services and community members. We attempt to make contact quickly with these people for triage and assessment of their risk. The final postvention step is a new tool called the intervention target. The intervention target is a visual representation of the combined information gathered throughout the suicide event response phase. It includes three stages of risk contained by the protective systems, groups and individuals that can be called upon to support the creation of safety. As the STAY program moves through the design process towards a defined model of care, there are additional outcomes and innovations that we hope to support. Working with local community-led structures like the Suicide Prevention Action Network and Sherberg Aboriginal Shire Council, we aim to deliver train-the-trainer programs in iAssist. In doing so, we hope to support a social enterprise model where community can deliver and charge for training workshops in the surrounding areas, along with offering dynamic and scaled down in-home sessions for families and peer networks. We want to better understand the quantitative benefits of this work to continually improve how and why we train and support community members and service partners, as well as better understanding the operational implications for quality suicide prevention practices. Recognising that there are real statistical correlations between increased risk and particular cohorts of community members, we hope to innovate specialised assessment tools and treatment plans in collaborations with key agencies like Community Corrections and Youth Justice. And finally, we hope to close in on a defined model of care for Sherberg that can be used to inform like projects at other sites in the Darling Downs Hospital and Health Service Network. This is not to say that we're just going to replicate the practices that have worked in Sherberg, but instead use our experience to support other place-based programs based off the foundational three objectives discussed earlier. Bit of wordplay. <laughs> we, 
We stand here at a time when Western science and medicine is finally reckoning with the deep, complex and advanced knowledge held within the minds and spirits of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. While the importance of policies like Close the Gap cannot be understated, it's programs like these that will improve health and equity outcomes for overrepresented constituencies. The future of STAY requires onward funding and at this point in time is not certain. While we and the community we serve see real value in this approach to suicide prevention, it can be hard to quantify at times. STAY emerged in a time of crisis and now has the chance to evolve the evidence base around what works in early intervention and prevention practices, but it requires sustainable support to do so. Thank you. And um, can I just add, the, the entire team of STAY, which is Will and I, <laughs> work tirelessly to stop suicide on, um, on the community. We don't only work with Indigenous people. A life is a life, so if people in need are non-Indigenous, we go knock on their door as well. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.